welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Dan Ratner. He's an internationally known mind-body expert and the host of the popular podcast, Crushing Doubt. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm excited about having Dan Ratner on today. I've known him intermittently for a long time. I guess we know each other mostly by emails. We haven't really talked as much as I would have liked. And of course, we're both busy. But basically, he's a, Dr. Dan Ratner is an internationally known mind-body expert and the host of a podcast called Crushing Doubt, which is available on YouTube and Spotify. And he lays out in his unique columns of systems to organize a mind-body experience to help people alleviate both chronic and acute pain and other symptoms. So he had his own profound life-changing experience. He had his own success with chronic back pain. He has cured hundreds of people suffering from chronic pain. And the reason why both of us are here is that we see a lot of people suffering badly from chronic pain. And I think he and I are both going to be talking about today more about anxiety. We think the mental pain is actually the bigger problem than the physical pain. They're actually the same thing, which is just activated throughout physiology. And so he had, I'm... (laughs) I'm cheating a little bit. I actually asked him to come on the show to teach me what he does because I'm struggling to deal with a process that we both jokingly call monkey mind, obsessive thought patterns. The research term is unpleasant, repetitive thoughts. And the problem with these things, and we sort of joke about them, they're part of the human experience, except they activate your body's chemistry and people get sick. So Dan, welcome to the show. And I'm just uh, really happy to have you back on and get to spend a little time with you. And um, just it, give it just a little background on your psychology training and how you evolved into the mind-body process with your back issues. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, David. This is uh, great to be back with you. Um, so I, I grew up in a family that was full of therapists. I was around the idea of therapy uh, longstanding, and it was more the psychoanalytic model, which had a good side um, and it had some downsides. Over time, I decided I do want to be a therapist, and I was really into like that long-term therapy work. Um, it's funny because when I look back on it, I learned a lot of lessons in retrospect now from my body. When I started learning lessons from my body, I was 28 years old, and I uh, developed chronic everyday back pain. It was completely excruciating. Uh, I had back spasms for two years, hundreds of times a day, and I couldn't get any answers, and, and I was so shocked at what I found in society. I was shocked all my life. I thought, well, if it's something physical, doctors know. And I went and they not only didn't seem to know, they, they kind of seemed to almost not even totally care. Uh, it was really strange. And I just, I followed that wormhole down many different paths as, as pain sufferers do. And by the way, I want to say, I've come to see pain versus other symptoms. They're all they're all lumped in together. Go ahead. You know, the same thing, right? We'll discuss that in a second. So, yeah. So quick question. So where were you living at the time? I was in grad school in Philadelphia at the time. And so you saw lots of different providers and you were bounced around, I'm assuming, like lots of our patients are. Yep. And I think you read my little post one day called The Pit of Despair is that Dr. Harry Harlow showed that a way to induce depression in monkeys was to repeatedly dash their hopes. Yep. <laughs> so... Um, so how'd you, how'd you come out of it? What, what happened finally? 
Well, actually, I would say that I did get to that kind of learned helplessness phase uh, first. I, I gave up. I, I was like, doctors can't help me. There's nothing to be done. I guess this is just the way life is. And I, I, I remember looking around and being like, most of my peers are totally fine. I don't know why this happened to me. Um, I did know that I had some trauma history, and I even knew about the idea of psychosomatic issues. But my understanding of psychosomatic issues at the time was that they're in your head, which is not that's how it's thought of, unfortunately, by a lot of people, but it's, that's not what it is. The way I think about it is it's from your head, but it becomes completely real in the body. And you know, I was thinking about what you were saying about how all those, you know, the thought patterns that we have, the anxiety, it activates our whole central nervous system. Your entire physiology is different when you're anxious. And if you think well, about it. Well, doctors a, forget, I mean, somehow we're trained a little bit to think of the brain as a circuit board. The brain is completely physiological. There's 80 billion nerve cells. They don't even touch each other. There's a space between them called a synapse that they communicate with each other through chemicals, for goodness sake. Then each neuron is attached to 10,000 other neurons. I mean, the brain's like a huge beehive just going like crazy and it'll, it'll adapt to anything. And you get these signals from the body. The body responds with signals to, to go to fight or flight or safety. And so... The data has not come out the last 10 years. And again, medicine does not acknowledge this. And again, this is not new news, is that your body responds to a threat as a total body response. And so your brain's processing input from your arms, your legs, your body, your stomach, everything's being processed. The brain gets the signals, sends out a response, regulating your body's chemistry and heart rate and inflammatory process. And so when you're in a constant threat state, people get sick. And we've known this in medical school for 40 years that chronic stress causes serious illness. That's not new news either. Nope. So my question to you is dying early psychological? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think of dying early as psychological, though I do think that psychology can lead to changed physiology that can lead to dying early. You know, it, exactly. It's... Right. So what I so we can talk a long time about this because we do agree on a lot of different things, but I just want to focus on we know that threats, whether it's societal threats, relationship threats, financial, chronic pain threats, your boss or pain is a threat that activates your body's physiology into fight or flight. And when you're sustained fight or flight, people get physical and mental symptoms. So we've now learned that pretty much all these mental physical symptoms are all the same thing. But the problem that humans have, I call it the curse of consciousness. And what I'm really curious from your perspective is that humans know how to physically survive although many of our physical survival skills aren't great. But, but in human evolution, consciousness is relatively new, less than 100,000 years old. We haven't really learned how to ne negotiate our emotional landscape. We don't know how to do this very well. So it turns out that thoughts are a threat that activates the body's physiology. And so thoughts are a, unpleasant thoughts are the threat. The emotions are what we feel or the physiology so it turns out the research term is called unpleasant repetitive thoughts, URTs. Turns out that suppressed thoughts and emotions are even worse. They not only activate the nervous system even more, they actually cause shrinkage of your brain. They shrink the hippocampus, which is the memory center. They actually increase the size of the amygdala, which is your fear center. So your brain then goes, goes physiological structural changes based on thoughts. So the term we use is monkey mind, there's the URTs, obsessive thought patterns, et cetera, et cetera. At some point, it becomes, quote, OCD. 
you know, I both talked about how we don't really like that diagnosis. So I'm just curious, it's interesting as a, as a surgeon, the last 18 months, I become very focused on these repetitive thought patterns that sort of torture people. So I have, to me, it's become the most important part of the project is this activated threat response that humans cause and call anxiety. But the key issue in my mind are these obsessive thought patterns or repetitive thoughts. So what, what's your observations from your experience about the effect that these thoughts have on people's physiology? Great question. And I guess first I'll say that, you know, when I did get out of back pain and you know this story, but people who have listened and people who have listened to you or me understand we've all gotten to the same place where we got out of it because we understood that the way that we think affects our physiology. So, but I was thinking about it as you were talking and I was thinking, you know, it's so funny because people say like, well, how bad could, could it be to think things over and over? Could it really have that profound an effect? It's not, it's not like you're being chased by a lion or being uh, physically attacked, but actually in some ways it's worse because it comes from inside and you have no sense that it's going to stop, especially if it's obsessive and over and over. Right. It's like you're being attacked by a lion that you think you should be able to control, but you also don't believe you ever will control. Right. So it becomes a thing that would really drive a very, very bad feeling, a pessimistic feeling about ever being able to get out of it. And that's part of my interest in, in that area of psychology. Well, I mean, you feel trapped by your thoughts and you made a comment that you were raised in a family of psychotherapists and psychologists. So uh, I, had, I had a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is manifested by extreme, almost visual hallucinations of thoughts that just don't stop. And you can't escape them. And I remember talking to my psychiatrist. I went into psychotherapy for 13 solid years, which is a lot of psychotherapy. And I didn't understand neuroplasticity back then. So it turns out by talking about this over and over and over again and analyzing the heck out of it, it get way worse <clears throat> because my attention is on the thoughts. Right. So that didn't work. And then again, you have this massive survival reaction, which is a million times stronger than your conscious brain. So you're not going to conquer it with conversation. So I call it the curse of consciousness, this inability to escape your thoughts. So I agree with you that these thought patterns, I call it the curse of consciousness, are really sort of the bane of the human existence. They really take away from your quality of life. Oh, absolutely. So much of what I have come to do, because I discovered uh, Dr. Sarno, and that helped me alleviate the initial symptoms. But as I, as I thought about it more, I got, an, there was another kind of nugget of information in Dr. Sarno in the way that he was, because the way that he helped people was to get them certain about the diagnosis. I was really interested in that. And that certainty um, I've channeled into thinking about it as if we can reduce all doubts about whether we're going to get better, not just about the nature of the diagnosis, but whether we can get better. And that would include about obsessive thoughts. If you can bring doubt down, that will change your whole central nervous system. Because if you have doubt, the central nervous system is, you know, it's raging. It's like, we're, we're in danger. We're never going to get out of this. And so I've, I've discovered there's different elements of symptomatology that emerge from different types of psychologies. And one of the things that I've zeroed in on, this is a term that I've come to use, is something I call attentional TMS. TMS, called? it's called attentional TMS. Uh, it's very similar. Like, attentional or intentional? Attentional. Attentional. It's, it's, it's not intentional. <laughs> you know, most, most people don't know what TMS is. What does that Yeah, I'm going to explain that. So TMS is a term that Sarno used. It's tension myositis syndrome. 
I use it as a basket term for mind body. I, I, you don't even need to know so much what it is, but if it's, if you have an attentional version of this mind body issue, what it means is you've figured out that it's mind body. You're certain about that, but you cannot get your mind off of the symptoms. You just keep thinking about the symptoms and you almost think I better think about these symptoms so that I can make them go away. Ironically, it goes in the opposite direction. Actually, I, I was reading, uh, you sent out an email recently about the ironic effect and mm -hmm. the Golden State right. Warriors. I, I loved that you said that because this is a clue to the answer of what we need to do. We actually have to learn how to think less. We're right. not good at that. Right. And in, in fact, danger tells us to think more because it tells us you have to, you're going to have to think your way out of this. You're going to have to be very, very hypervigilant. So we start thinking more. Right. And we're going in the wrong direction. But let me make a couple of comments today. I, on the second podcast, I really want to get, go into sort of your exact approach. And I'll show you some of the things I think work. I mean, I, they have worked, but I'd, I'd like to get better at this. Is that I, I think this, first of all, as far as the magnitude of the problem, I'm going to say something that's a little controversial. I think it's universal. I think every human being has to deal with these crazy thought patterns. I totally agree. I, I, to me, that's not controversial, but it's interesting. You and I know how controversial that is right. in everyday society. And this is part of what we're trying to change is to help people see if the mind can affect the body in so many ways. I mean, you get sad, you cry, you get embarrassed, you blush. It's all the same thing. Right. These thought, and if you're having these thoughts, how is it not going to drive your physiology? Meanwhile, how is it not going to be universal? Well, and also, you know, Lisa Feldman Barrett's work out of Northeastern where they talk about the predictive model of coding and how thoughts and concepts get memorized in your pain, in your brain, the same way as a chair or a table. So these thoughts get memorized. I'm not, I'm not sure what time frame. And I call it phantom brain pain. You know, you get these thought patterns that keep spinning away. The other metaphor I use is like those little dust devils in the desert that are spinning away. And they're not responsive to rational interventions. And the other metaphor I use is that of a spinning basketball on your finger. If you pay attention to these thoughts, the basketball keeps spinning. And if you suppress the thoughts, the basketball spins even faster. Wow, so yeah. now, this, is where the, this is where the language comes into place where, because um, I think this is really a critical part of our conversation in that the research shows, like you just said before, your belief system and attitudes affect your body's physiology. So Dr. Danzer out of Texas wrote a massive review paper that was wonderful. He showed that there's four social factors that, affect your, that, that increase your inflammatory markers. So one of them is no hope. The other one is just a negative attitude. The other one is lack of social connection or loneliness. The other one is a lack of control. So reversing the conversation, hope, optimism, a sense of control, community, um, all are anti-inflammatory. Yeah. So we say crushing doubt, which you're saying, okay, no, these are thoughts. There's no real danger. So what you've done with this doubt process, you've given people back a sense of control, which is actually anti-inflammatory, which changes the body's physiology. But here's my question. Okay, so we know express unpleasant thoughts are a problem. We know that repressed or suppress negative thoughts are a bigger problem. So again, I think I understand you really well, but I want to explain to the audience, we say crushing doubt, it doesn't mean you're suppressing these thoughts. No, actually quite the opposite. You need to bring them out into the open. Right. You need to let them all in. 
And then you have to, when I say crushing doubt, I don't mean just will yourself to not have doubt. That doesn't work. Right. We have to have a conversation that actually convinces you inside and out that you, you do know it. And it, it's effectively actually making you not doubt. Right. I, I, say, I say to people all the time, you can say I'm safe over and over and over. If you don't believe it, your brain's not going to believe it. Right. And neither is your physiology. Right. So how do you, um, what's your basic approach to do that? Because to me, it's a very, so I talk about a positive vision is really critical for healing, but that's different than positive thinking. So in a way, is crushing down a way of developing a positive vision? In other words, you're, you're, you're putting your brain where you want it to go is part of the healing process. Because remember, your brain changes every second and we're programmed by who, we, who society thinks we should be. And we're also programmed by self-criticism and so that goes over, so that's a programming is survival and criticism. And so one of my mentors, who's very powerful, point out, why not program your brain with positive thoughts? Is that one of the, is that, does that make sense from your, from your model? That does make a lot of sense, but I, I, I'd say I'd take it one step further and it may be in line with what you're saying anyway. It's similar to what I was just saying. Positive thinking is one thing, but positive thinking that you, know you can believe in from every angle. And this is part of what I do. Uh, I, you know, I do these teaching seminars, then I have the group memberships that follow up from those to keep supporting people. The whole idea is to look how this isn't just true from one, from one angle. This is true from multiple angles, from every angle. Because if we bring in that level of confidence, then it isn't just positive thinking. It's completely changed thinking. And you couldn't even go back if you tried. Right. So it's, it goes beyond just, hey, let's try to be positive and find a positive spin on it. It actually annihilates the bad spin. It exposes it as faulty. It, it, it's it's, you know, it's kind of like taking apart cognitive distortions. Uh, you recognize where they fall through and you ask yourself, why would I believe in something that's only partially true? Uh, that doesn't make sense. And I give people instead a system that makes full, full sense. Um, I, I have this system called the column system. There's three different areas of mind, body experience. We can get into details, you know, later, but emotions, doubt, and power. These are three aspects that are incredibly important and you need to know how to organize it, understand it and use it. Oh, sorry. What were those again? Emotions, doubt, and power. Let me give you, I'll just give you a little bit of background on it. So okay. it makes more sense to the person who's listening. The emotions are similar to what Dr. Sarno says, how your unconscious feelings manifest in symptoms, especially with the onset and uptick of them. Right. Doubt is about just what we have already talked about, that you know, you've got to be certain about every aspect of things. And it's not as hard as it sounds. When I say every aspect of things, people are like, how could that be possible? This system actually shrinks the information accurately and usefully so that you actually start to see, oh, I actually can be sure about this. This isn't a, it's not as complicated as it initially seemed. And then the power column, and this is going to be especially, especially big with what I call attentional mind-body issues or, you know, um, the obsessive thinking, is the power column. The power column is about your relationship with yourself and changing that to a powerful and, and positive viewpoint that you can actually believe. I, want to, I almost want to underline the, that you can actually believe. Because if you don't believe it, it doesn't do you any good. Right. 
So is this belief about yourself, about your capacity to navigate life's challenges, to control your body's chemistry? I mean, what, what's the doubt about? You're, you're questioning doubt about what exactly? Well, in the in the doubt column part, I'm crushing doubt about whether it's a mind body issue or whether this mind body issue is different from another mind body. I issue, see. Or okay. whether, but in the power column, what I'm actually doing is helping people recognize who they are. Because if they recognize who they are, you know, a lot of these repetitive thoughts are about the fact that we're misaligned with ourselves. We can't stop thinking because we're misaligned with ourselves. If we align ourselves truly. Those thoughts actually can fall by the wayside. That's a big part of what we'll talk about. But well, that's fascinating. I mean, a friend of mine, Bruce Lipton. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Bruce I know. Lipton? I know of him. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So he and I put some videos together, and we become quite good friends. And he's a really fascinating guy. Um, but he says the same thing: is that um, he's just exactly what you just said. You know, you just, you just, you can't control this stuff. You got to let it go. You got to be who you are and you're going to connect and engage with who you are as a person, but you can't do that with all the noise around you. And so in a way you're not actually creating a you, you're just sort of discovering a you. Discovering a you. It's always been there. And actually, it's always been there, right. And the symptoms actually are the, the funny thing is the symptoms are telling a more accurate view of who you are than your conscious mind is. Correct. Right. And again, his point being that the human unconscious brain processes about 20 to 40 million bits of information per second, and the conscious brain processes 40. It is a complete mismatch. So if I hear you correctly, this is the part that I'm really interested in. We'll talk about this in the second podcast. If I hear you correctly, these obsessive thought patterns are a big part of the chronic pain world. Oh, very much so. I mean, when I, when I introduced the idea of crushing doubt, why do we have so much doubt? It's partly right. because these thoughts continue to rush back in. And you know why? We haven't gotten them effectively settled. Sometimes that's not from information. It's from a lack of information, or it's from information that makes sense here, but not there. Anything that's jutting out is going to, I mean, as human beings, we always want to understand. And if something is not making sense, we're going to keep thinking about it. Well, the other point that Bruce Lipton made is that in his mind, disease is actually when you're not living in harmony, which you just exactly said. Mm -hmm. So if you're out of line with your value system and who you are, in other words, you're disconnected, um, then you get sick. And of course, there's that word disease. I mean, you're not at ease, you're at, un at, at unease. And so as you get control of your situation, why you, you can put yourself back at ease and actually calm things down dramatically. Um, I do want to say one thing on this in this part of the podcast, which I find interesting. There's a friend of mine, Dr. David Claussen in Seattle, who's just sort of a genius on the whole physiology, the whole mind-body connection, evolutionary biology. I mean, he's amazing. Um, so he's pointed out that your body really is reacting to unconscious signals. Your, your whole body gets inflamed as a unit and as your body gets inflamed, these thought patterns just start going crazy. And then, of course, the thought patterns come back in and inflame your body, so you have a very bi-directional nature. So again, it's a, it's a, it's a, we talk about the top-down approach to chronic pain, the bottom-up approach. It is clearly bi-directional. I mean, it really makes a pretty huge difference. And so, um, so yeah, um, I think your approach is really, really fascinating. And I'll ask you sort of a funny question. I mean, if a person decides to work with you, engage in the tools, 
you know, a lot of people can't engage, won't engage, or whatever. But someone decides, like, actually, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through the process. I mean, can you guesstimate a success rate of getting better? Remember, chronic pain is, quote, uncurable. Mm -hmm. And so you and I both see a lot of successes. We have different styles of the same principles. I mean, all of us that are successful sort of have the same. At the end of the day, it narrows down to a common approach, which is helping people give themselves cues of safety. And so um, there's this connection in the brain that Dr. Apicarian put out in Chicago that the, if this connection on research MRI scans called functional MRI scans exists, be the prefrontal cortex, the thinking center, and the nucleus that comes the survival center, that if a person gets an injury, they have an 80% chance of developing chronic pain in that new injured spot. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking this for a while, and DR has now come around to my way of thinking, why does this connection exist? Why, why is this connection there in the first place? You haven't had an injury before. This connection's there. And my hypothesis has been, it's been these unpleasant thoughts. So you're, because unpleasant thoughts are sensory input, they create the same physiological, physiological reaction. So you have this pathway already etched in the brain, I think from your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, one way of thinking about it is you can't have an experience without thinking about it. Your every experience you have, you're going to think about it, right? And your mind is going to go in a certain place. And this is one of the reasons my system, I think, is particularly useful. Is it factors in? It factors that in. It knows your mind is going to go everywhere with these things, right? But by organizing it, we slowly start to shrink that and explain why does this happen? Why does that happen? So, for example, with what you're saying, I would say, not is it possible that you. Uh, would form a link between an injury and start to worry about it and or have it be mysterious that 80% of people would develop potentially chronic issues there. I'm not surprised at all by that because your brain is taking in the information. It's like I'm hurt there. Now I'm worried about there. Right. It's perfectly natural to me. Now you did ask me about, you know, percentage rate of um, recovery. I like the way you said it too. We're not trying to cure things exactly. I do find that I can get people to a place where they have nothing chronic um, and where they can control acute symptoms quite a bit. Uh, are they going to have you know ups and downs? Sure. And I would say that uh, this is, I, I'm just kind of eyeballing it from what I'm seeing, especially as I've developed these models more. I would say it's a good 80% that can get better from these things. And, and when I say can, I don't believe that only 80% can get better. It's more 80% do get better because there are some people where doubt wins the battle. The thought process continues and I can't. Well, I think where doubt actually wins the battle in a big way, people just don't engage in the first place. That, that, I think oh, for, for sure. that's the biggest challenge is that people say, well, you know, this is, I hurt, must be something structural, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, the lines. So the biggest factor is simply engaging in a healing process. I agree. And that's where the doubt just destroys both you and I, because we see all these people that can potentially get so much better and they just choose not to. Yeah. Okay. And listen, uh, so yeah, that 80% is of the people who chose to, right, exactly. to be open to it. The, the percentage of people who have pain and whether they're going to get better is much lower because so few people are understanding this. Right. So Dan, what, just to make sure, uh, I appreciate this. Um, I'm really going to get into some more details of how both of us approach dealing with these obsessive thought patterns. Um, how do we access your resources? What's the best way to get a hold of you and your resources? 
Okay, so um, you know, we have a website, www.crushingdoubt.org. Uh, this has the links to these teaching seminars that I do, which are available live with me. I schedule them, you know, every six weeks or so. And then they're also available on recording on video. Um, my crushing doubt membership also available there. So the website is the main place to go. Uh, my upcoming book is going to be available for sale there, but that'll be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble as well. So the website is really the best way. There is, of course, the podcast. And secondly, you can certainly just reach out to me. It's dan at crushingdoubt.org. I'm happy to bring people into this. And actually, one I set up these systems to be able to handle a very large inflow of people. Because right. what you and I are doing, David, and, and the whole mind-body field, we don't just want to help some people. We really want to change the whole discussion. So the more, the merrier. Bring it in. Right. Well, Dan, thank you again. I'm excited about your process and uh, we'll talk in a few minutes. Sounds good. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Dan Ratner, for being on the show today and for sharing his personal experience of chronic pain and his approach that is based on realizing in a deep way that you are safe and aligning with who you really are is critical to healing. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.